Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Hello and welcome to The Universe Next Door. Thank you for listening, and please check out our website, apologetics.org, uh, and follow us on social media at the C.S. Lewis Society. Dr. Woodward, how are you doing today? I'm having a fantastic start of fall here in beautiful Florida, where the cool breezes are flowing in from the Gulf of Mexico, and it's just great to be uh, uh, alive in such a beautiful time of the year. My wife and I just love fall. I hope that you enjoy fall weather, whether, you know, anybody... If this time of the year could be enjoying it, whether they're in, you know, Long Island listening to us there or in West Coast, Kansas, anywhere. It's just a great season. Absolutely. And it, I was surprised to walk outside the other night and it was kind of cool out. <laughs> it's been months. Shock. Yeah. Yeah. Shocking, isn't it? Absolutely. Wow. Well, we're having far too much fun as we're uploading each week the a series of video uh, lectures and a panel discussion just went up this last weekend. From the you, you know, the actual Why Jesus, uh, they're on YouTube. Uh, the videos are fabulous, and we have one going up this weekend as this uh, program is going out across the country, um, radio cast and podcast. And the, the talk that's going to be uploaded, that is being uploaded uh, as of Friday, so if you're listening to this uh, program on Saturday or Sunday, it's freshly placed there at the home page at the top and featured videos at apologetics.org. And it is just a fabulous video by the one and only Randy Newman. Dr. Randy Newman, a uh, staff member with Campus Crusade, which of course now is called CRU, C-R-U, and his expertise in CRU was lecturing on apologetics and specifically the Old Testament. So uh, I, I think that you will have more hilarity, more uh, breaking up laughing per square inch on this video, Nick, than any video we've uploaded in the la- last oh, five years. It is pretty funny, as I recall. Yeah, yeah, because I know you saw the whole, um, I think, six six presentations of, of the uh, Why Jesus. And Randy Newman is just uh, a master, a speaker, uh, an amazing apologist, um, I just love him as a brother, but also enjoy him to the hilt as a speaker. So the, his talk on basically dialoguing uh, apologetics. So there's presentation apologetics, there's uh, preaching the gospel apologetics, and there's dialoguing apologetics. And he is a master of the question. By the way, do you have a question? <laughs> I, I, had, I had to say that. And, of course, uh, Randy Newman talks about how Jesus uses questions to answer questions. And, yeah, that's and right. And that's just, just the start of it. So I'm celebrating. I, I need to get out my cup of tea and celebrate a bit. Yeah, those are some good uh, some good lectures. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, is it okay if we have a, a nice a scientific apologetics with a sprinkle of, of saltation on top? Uh, pass the salt, please, part two. I was hoping that's what we were going to do. <laughs> well, I fulfilled your <laughs> desire. 
or maybe even your prayer. No, I know that that's too uh, crazy a prayer. So <laughs> what we're going to do is that we will dive right in with uh, picking up, uh, as, uh, as we were talking last week, on the jumps in the fossil record. And I've been doing a lot of research on this crazy, mysterious, and we don't know if it just floated along the muds, mud flats at the bottoms of the Cambrian uh, sea basins, you know, in these uh, ancient eras. And there are various ways of dating the Cambrian, of course, and just using the secular, the uh, standard geological dating um, measurements of 540 million years ago, there is a mysterious creature that has been the focus of attention on the website that we love to direct people to, and that is evolutionnews.org. And I know, Nick, you have visited that website. It's a grand and glorious source, isn't it? Oh, yeah, there's like a never-ending list of resources. Yeah, it's just like this, it's like a library of Congress, but this is the library of apologetics that goes on forever. Yeah. And specifically scientific data on the, the dialogue or the debate between Darwin and design. Well, we're privileged to have uh, commenting and writing five powerful, I mean, these are detailed, they're scientific, but they're not too scientific for us ordinary mortals to understand. And that's what I love about the work of Gunther Beckley, this German paleontologist, yes, a German paleontologist who not only writes fluent English, he not only is a world-renowned expert in uh, fossil dragonflies, and in his museum there in, in Stuttgart, Germany, he was one of the main curators and was a hardcore evolutionist and atheist until he began reading the works of Michael Behe around 10 or 11 years ago. And that was the beginning of a very interesting educational process for Gunther Beckley as he realized that these books that he had been dumping on, that he had been criticizing and dismissing and, and basically thinking there was nothing to it, he found them to be powerful, well-documented, extremely uh, capably reasoned. And so when he reached out to the people at Discovery Institute, uh, to Steve Meyer, to Michael Behe himself, and began to read more and more, the more he read, the more heart and mind he was captivated by the, by the evidences, by the reasoning, by the, the various uh, lines of, of indicators that were pointing toward design and away from Darwinism. And so the transition took about six or seven years, and then he literally revealed to the, to the world that he no longer embraced Darwinism, that he had become a skeptic of the received theory, and that he had uh, moved to the other side. And, of course, at that point, the museum said, what? And they politely or maybe not so politely showed him the door. Wow. They kind of, yeah, they more or less um, phased him out. They said, you are no longer welcome here. So, so much for open-mindedness, uh, so much for objectivity in the world of science when it gets to this issue of Darwinism. Anyway, Gunther Beckley is now a, an involved in incredibly exciting, cutting-edge research. This is what we love about the guys like Beckley who come to change their mind. And, of course, uh, by the way, after he became a design advocate, he found that there was evidence for God. After all, he began reading his Bible and he eventually embraced the God of the Bible in a personal way. I think that's the, the best part of the story. Wow, So absolutely. Gunther Beckley yeah, it is, it is just fantastic. And so, and by the way, anybody who wants to see the short, it's like a 10 or 15 minutes um, 
bit of the uh, story of Gunter Beckley, you can just go right there to apologetics.org, his story. With him telling it with his wonderful German accent, he is sharing that story right there on the front hop, top uh, featured videos of apologetics.org. Well, we are blessed that we have him on our side because he has done his homework and how. Gunter Beckley's series of articles over the last month and a half on evolutionnews.org have been spectacular. I haven't necessarily understood everything he said, but most of the explanation is, is right there on, on table level. In other words, you just look at it, okay, you may have to look up a word now or then, but it's not too bad at all. But lots of illustrations, lots of pictures of these crazy fossils of Kimberella. Uh, Kimberella, let's call her Kim. Can I do that? Yeah, let's let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> My friend Kim. Uh, yeah, we'll be a little bit playful here. Actually, uh, I have a friend up in Ohio. I have a guy friend uh, by the name of Kim. So Kim could be a guy as well. But let's just pretend that this particular Kim is is a sweet little girl. Kimberella is an interesting interesting fossil because they don't know exactly where Kim fits. So Gunter Beckley, uh, in addition to the many gloriously detailed pictures, you know, color pictures, most of them, and then diagrams that are, fill all of these articles, he has brought the conclusion out just literally in the last few days, and it is a bombshell. So here is what he said. This is the headline. You know, when in doubt, read the headline, and then go on read the article if you can. So here's the headline. Kimberella is no solution to the Cambrian conundrum. In other words, the Cambrian or Cambrian mystery. And so you may, someone uh, listening today may say, well, what is the Cambrian mystery? Well, the Cambrian explosion is the phenomenon that has been well known for over 100 years. It was well known to Darwin, although they didn't call it by that name in his day, but he admitted that it was a mystery. It was an abominable, that's the word he used, mm -hmm. mystery, that these very interesting, odd-looking, many of them, very complex. Uh, the trilobite fossils uh, are some of the most interesting, detailed, and, and amazingly complex structured fossils. They appear suddenly without a hint of ancestry, leading back down in lower rock or older rock to a simpler form. In other words, there's no hint. There's not even the slightest suggestion of an evolutionary history to them. They're just planted there, boom, and they appear suddenly. I mean, even the great Richard Dawkins, the head of the New Atheist Movement, had to admit that in his book, uh, The Blind Watchmaker. He spends like two pages talking about the fossil record. And when I read what he said about, oh, yeah, they look like they're just planted there with no evolutionary history, but that's, that's just an illusion. Yeah. And I thought to myself, what an unscientific statement for the great Oxford biologist Richard Dawkins to say or to try to get away with. But I'm not going to let him get away with that. Uh, I think Richard Dawkins and all, the, all those who just dismiss the Cambrian explosion need to be you know, asked a follow-up question or two or ten. And in this case, Kimberella is the focus of our questioning, and that is why does this interesting, the most, one of the most mysterious, because they're not exactly sure how to classify it. And so uh, the, the description that we have of Kim, that's my shorthand, of course, for, again, Kimberella, 
is is one that comes from these articles and the Burgess shale now that's the series of fossil um, layers that are found up in Canada in uh, Alberta right near the British Columbia border up to 7,000 foot level of one of the mountains there um, the the comment here uh, of of Gunter Beckley talking about Kim and this saltation now saltation means it leaps it jumps into the fossil record from nowhere no sense of gradual development but he makes this comment um, and asks basically what does this tell us about the Cambrian explosion what is this particular species this particular kind of animal uh, what light does we have shed on this uh, very dogged and and um, seemingly unsolvable mystery so he says together with the alleged evidence I'm reading from the article here uh, with the alleged evidence for other bilateral bilaterian animals and I won't go into that but it's basically an animal that you can draw a, a line down the middle of it and it has bilateral symmetry okay so most animals have what are called bilateral symmetry and the animals that lived in the period just below below or before the Cambrian period have an interesting na name and it's a name I'm going to use today I'm going to introduce this name which uh, I haven't used a lot but it's the Edi Ediacaran so the Ediacaran starts with an E-D-I-A-C-A-R-A -A, and that's the name of a group of rocks that were discovered that contained what looked like trace animals below the Cambrian and you say what I didn't know that there were animals below the Cambrian there were wow. and this little ribbon of rock has odd different kinds of animals now the, what's controversial is that these um, Kimberella appear really at the edge like that transition uh, between the Ediacara layer and the Cambrian layer and so he goes in and describes this um, an unusual simple mollusk type organism and then he after the description he basically says therefore the latter he's talking about these um, animals that appear um, but I'll, I'll just read what he says here their unique specializations referring to the description of Kimberella and by different authors the unique specialization strongly suggests that they could only represent extinct side branches and therefore they could not be directly ancestral to any of the numerous Cambrian animal phyla thus they do not resolve their enigmatic origin that is the bad news for Darwin's theory where he says thus they could not resolve their enigmatic origin mm -hmm. And so he goes on, he says, as a result, therefore, the latter, the, the, the Kim, Kimberella, still appear abruptly out of nowhere. Let me repeat that. The latter, the ones he's talking about in his description, appear abruptly out of nowhere. He adds this. Nick, are you ready for this? Are you seated? Oh, yeah. It sure doesn't sound like evolution so far. <laughs> Not a hint of it. The thousand of fossil links that are postulated by Darwin's theory of evolution uh, for the transition again from and he, he names some very early um, single-celled animals uh, they're, they're 
coanoflagellate, and that's another word you might have to look up in your biological dictionary. But anyway, these ancestors, these single-cell ancestors, uh, looking for a transition from those little guys to the complex body plans of the more than 20 Cambrian phyla still remain elusive and, get this right, right missing, in spite of suitable fossil localities. In other words, let me unpack that. He says that after the most diligent, um, extremely um, focused, and almost hyperactive search for anything that would link the 20, not one or two or five or ten, but 20, and actually it's a little bit over 20 now, major categories of life that burst onto the scene that appear with this abrupt jump, this saltation from single-celled animals to the modern categories we have today. And there's no new phylum that appears after the Cambrian. So if you, wow, as, as one writer says, it's like a 500 million year dry spell for evolution. Yeah. If you're talking about the major categories, well, it all happened in a blink of an eye and nothing's happened ever since in the last 500 million years in terms of the big categories and the categories. And this is the, the most difficult and the most embarrassing thing for any traditional evolutions. The categories are unconnected by any transitions. Now, I can see small, smaller groups, you know, maybe family, you know, a genus or, or various genera or family, maybe even classes. You might say, well, we don't have that many connecting links. But to have no connecting links between the largest categories, that's where you would expect to have the largest number of connecting links. Wow. So this is taking the prediction of Darwinian theory and turning it on its head. Now... I mean, as I, as I just uh, commend to the reader, uh, readership of anybody who's listening to our program, uh, this entire article, I mean, to read it is just like to almost, um, yeah, I, mean, I want to stand up and give an ovation. But he includes this uh, final comment, honest scientists cannot any longer ignore this substantial conflicting evidence. The fossil record speaks clearly and cries out loud, the history of life on Earth is a history of saltations. Pass the saltation, please. <laughs> there is a reason why scientists call these abrupt appearances explosions or even big bangs of life. Guess which model better fits this evidence? Darwin's theory of gradually climbing Mount Improbable, and he's referring to a, a book and a doctrine from Richard Dawkins, or rather intelligent design theory. In other words, which fits the evidence? And he says it is not a difficult choice. No. Unless your world view dictates what kind of theories are allowed. Yeah. In other words, only a person who has prior to the evidence, in other words, in advance of the evidence, they've already chosen the worldview. They've chosen the kind of the philosophical big picture that they want to live by. And then after they've already decided the way the world is and the way God is not i.e. God does not exist, according to this philosophical preference. It's not an inference from the data, it's a preference of their own heart. And so if they've chosen that, then only then, if you've knocked intelligent design out of the game, if you've, uh, you know, if you've basically 
uh, clobbered a person and broken the rules and there's no referee to throw down the 15-yard penalty flag and you can get away with anything. Mm -hmm. And so you knock intelligent design or at least a theistic worldview out of the, you know, out of the playing field and you think, oh, I've won. Well, you've won, but you've broken the rules of clear thinking, of careful, truly scientific analysis when philosophy defeats the, the search for truth. Now, to me, if I can just say a little P.S., we, we have what, a, a few minutes left, right? Yeah, we have a little over four minutes. Okay. Well, that gives me enough time to just shift gears because, to me, solutions are cool. I mean, I'm not saying that there literally are jumps. You know, you know, Stephen Jay Gould, the late Stephen Jay Gould and his colleague Niles Eldridge, who is now retired uh, from the American Museum of Natural History in New York, these guys who developed punctuated equilibrium theory, they were basically hold, holding to a naturalistic view. So saltation did not mean creation for them. It just means a mysterious revolutionary jump from one animal to another. And that's not plausible. We know the genetic equipment of those animals are 100% are designed or, or you know, gauged and, and fine-tuned to produce the same kind of animal, not a radically different animal. So that's why punctuated equilibrium theory has faded from the scene steadily more and more over the last 10 or 15 years. But there's a different saltation that's real, and that's the jump from the, the silence of science about God, because science can only just make a fair inference to a God. It doesn't tell us how to get to God. But we find in the prophets of the Old Testament that followed on the great statement of creation of Genesis, you find in the prophet Zechariah, in chapter 12, a mysterious statement. And I think that chapter 12, verse 10 statement is like a jump. It's like a saltation from nothingness in terms of the hint of how to find God to Jesus himself. And you say, oh, I thought Jesus was in the New Testament. Yes, but he's even prefigured and pre-described in the Old Testament. Zechariah 12:10 is where God is dealing with Israel. And it's the end times. It's like in the latter part of history. He says, God says, you will look upon me whom you have pierced and you will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. Let me repeat that. That is one of the most staggering statements of the entire Bible. It's one that we overlook sometimes. We don't appreciate it. We should have everybody, every Christian, every apologist, but every Christian should memorize Zechariah 12.10, at least the first part of that verse. They will look upon me, says Zechariah the prophet, chapter 12, just 10 verses in, and they, they will look upon me whom they have pierced. God says, in the future, you're going to pierce me. When did that happen? It happened on the old rugged cross. It also happened after Jesus expired, the sword of the Romans pierced his, his uh, underside. So I would commend this amazing truth that Christ died for us. He made his own saltation. He breaks through and points us to Jesus, who will forgive us and give us eternal life as a free gift. And that's the great news for today. Thank you, Nick. Back to you. Wow, I think that that's one of the most powerful prophecies in the Old Testament, especially keeping in mind it was hundreds of years before Roman crucifixion. Uh, well, thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments, send us an email at information at apologetics.org. We'll see you back here next week. And before you go, uh, check out this sponsor from our friends at DNA and Beyond. Welcome to the world of scientific discovery. 
I'm Jim Huta, and it's been my privilege to practice as a perinatal cardiologist for over 35 years, looking at the fetal heart as it develops in utero before the baby is born. We now know that the fetal heart development is controlled by DNA, but more importantly, there's a whole new code in a new area called epigenetics. Methyl tags, which are the signals or control molecules for the development of the fetal heart. Also, check out the dynamic colored DNA model. This is the only existing model that includes the DNA methylation molecules. You'll see methylation tags which attach to various portions of the DNA in order to control how it does its job. In our website, we hope to expose you to new advances in this area of epigenetics in our epigenetics section. Come and join us today at DNA and Beyond. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in the universe next door.